So we're continuing in our witness series, the second part of witnessing God's voice. And today I have the great privilege of having Sandra Scott with us. Thank you, Sandra. Good to be here. Now, yesterday I gave you a call um, because Diane had been, uh, she'd been thinking about the day. And she said, we need to hear a good news story from the lockdown. We've, we've heard lots of stories prior to the lockdown. But because so many of us are struggling these days with yeah. the restrictions we're living with, we needed a good news story from the lockdown. And, and so I gave you a call. You very graciously said that you're willing to be interviewed <laughs> live with no safety net. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a, a story, a good news story from the lockdown, mm. which also involves witnessing God's voice. What Would yeah. you share with us, please? Yeah, well... Um, when the lockdown happened and there was all this about, you know, corona and all the fear and things like that, I wasn't really in a great place with my health or anything else. I had come to the place where I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm not well. Um, I'm just going to settle here, sink into my twilight years and whatever. And um, And I just... I just heard God say, really? <laughs> and I thought, oh, here we go, a conversation. So, and I have many of these conversations. And I thought, well, you know, Lord, what more? And he says, well, I've set before you life and death. He says, choose life. And I just thought, I'm kind of like a warrior person. You know, I'm quite strong. And I was sort of going out with a whimper. And I thought, and I just felt, no, that, that, that's not right. I need to choose life. I need to, but in doing that, um, it was like I had to make decisions. I had to decide about how I wanted to approach this lockdown period. You know, do I just sit here, watch Netflix, eat sweeties? <laughs> and, then it, and then it was like, or do I do something? Do I get up? Do I mobilize? Do I, at, at, at that time, fortunately, we had our son living with us. He got trapped with us in the lockdown. Is that right? Where does he usually live? <laughs> well, he was in between places and flats and had put in for a house, couldn't get one and or didn't get it, you know, the offer thing. And um, and it was like, can I stay with you for a fortnight? And I was like, hey, come in. Right. So the fortnight, unfortunately for him, has turned out to be a long fortnight. Yeah. For us, it's been a blessing because um, Thomas is the kind of person who'll say, why are you sitting there? He's got that, you need to do something. Right. You know, you can't, you can't just go to God and expect God to do if you won't do. You have to partner with God in these things. And so things like, um, you know, I've, I've um, been addicted really to sugar most all my life. Yeah. So, so now I'm sitting... 30 years later, um, you know, with hardly any eyesight left and 
not able to even walk around a shop. And it was looking like I was going to be in a wheelchair going out shopping right. and deciding, I just don't want to go out. Yeah. I, I'm just going to sit here. And it was like God coming and saying, there's more, Sandra. There's more in your heart. You know, are you going to let it get out? I want to go back to Thailand and Cambodia. I want to see my family there. I love them and they mean so much to me. But I don't want to go unhealthy and, and being, I want to go with health. And so that was the start of me um, moving forward. And, uh, and when I say me, I don't mean me. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I've, I'm, I'm old enough to have hit these things often in life and thought, right, need to buckle down, need to do the thing, need to get on with it. And then two, three months later, the fizz goes out of that and I end up back in the same old cycle. And, um, and I thought, this is maybe my last hurrah. Right. I need to get up here. But the only way I could get up was with God's strength because there comes times in your life when you just know, oh, there's a grace for this. Yes. I need to move. I need to make this decision because God says to me, what are you going to choose? He wouldn't ask me that question if he wasn't going to come in, if he wasn't going to give me the strength. I'm not one of these people who are disciplined. And, and for folk out there that are listening to this, that are, they'll be thinking, what on earth? Oh. You know, it's no biggie. You just decide to do a thing and you discipline yourself and do it. Well, I'm a work in progress is that, in that regard. And so for me, I needed God to come and give me the strength, give me the, the ability to move through and do this. Yes. Otherwise, it was just going to be like any other start. It would stop. Yes. And it was like, I just felt this is the time. This is the moment. And now, I'm not decrying the horrible time people have had in COVID. And, and there's no words can describe what people have went through in this. However, I haven't. I've went the opposite way, right. and I've found life in COVID. I've found my health again. I've found, you know, I've found a real purpose to keep going. You know, at the end of the day, if during this time I catch COVID and I go home to be with the Lord, it won't be because I was sitting waiting on it. It'll be because I was out there being who I am in him, yes. being who he meant me to be, and going out. I went a walk at Vogre one day, and, uh, well, I've been going walking at Vogre. I'm actually walking. I can walk up to seven miles now. Oh, my. Somebody who couldn't walk around a shop. <laughs> um, and it was thunder and lightning. It was raining, and it was a storm. And I'm walking through there, and they're just me on my own, in the kind of half dark under the trees and the lightning and the thunder and it, I never felt so alive. <laughs> I was Amen. like, yes, Amen. you know, this is who I am. Uh -huh. This is me and I want to be me when I go. Yes. So the witness to my grandchildren, 
The witness to my children is not, oh yeah, she just slowly deteriorated and then slinked off. No, I want to go out with a roar. I want to go out with that, you know, welcome home, Lord, I'm coming. You know, it's like, I know this sounds a wee bit weird, but and it's all a bit bitty, but I'm in a good place. I'm in a good place where the food I'm eating is good food. I've changed all my diet, my blood sugars. I've never been so brilliant. Um, went to the hospital and they said, we don't need to see the eye doctor. Don't need to see you for nine months. Everything's brilliant. Well done. And, you know, and so there's all this. But it's, it's thanks to God's love. And God's love coming through my son that said, get up, mum. Yeah. What are you doing sitting there? Do this, mum. Do that, mum. Come on, mum. I'll take you a walk. Mum, let's get you proper shoes. Mum, let's do this. Mum, let's do that. And any time that I wanted to sit. So God uses the people around about you. He uses the people that he forces to live with you to, <laughs> to, to help you on your way, you know, and get you going. Um, and I'm, I'm presuming that there'll come a day when Thomas reaps the benefit of what he's been sowing yes. in my life. And he gets his flat and he gets his whatever and, you know, the future opens up for him again. Uh, being in the light and an entertainment business, his, his, his world's dead work-wise just now. But he's still working, he's doing something else at the moment. But, um, yes, yeah, so I'm sorry, I'm never supposed to be an interview and I'm rattling on like a hundred miles Sandra, an hour. that's the point of an interview. If I do most of the talking, it's not an interview. <laughs> well. And don't worry, that time will come when we're done here. Yeah. So, so for me, it's been that, it's been that moving. This is, I'd love to say, oh, and it's a done deal and it'll all be great, and this is me. No, every day, I'm up with Joe Wicks doing my senior's exercises. Excellent. You know, and it's like every day is a battle. Oh, I'm not going to do it the day. Oh, I'll not bother the day. I'm fine the day, and I've got this to do and that to do, and then I think, right, Joe, let's get you on. Right. You know, because that's the discipline that God's putting in me. Is putting that discipline. And I've been a person who's listened to doctors and, well, you must do this and you must do that and you must do the other. And I've tried to do this, that, and the other. And, um, <clears throat> you know, sugar is a great friend, a great chum. It's lovely. But it's a terrible master. Mm-hmm. And it's... And it's stolen 30 years of my life. It's stolen most of my eyesight. Mm-hmm. It's stolen other things. It's stealing no more. Mm-hmm. And it's that, when you see that, you think, no, no, no to you. No to you anymore. No to you ruling me. I have a better ruler. I have a better king. I have a better master than you. And it's to him, you know, that so... Um, and some people might think, what a weird thing to say, but it's not. Yes. And there's other people, maybe it's not something like that that's come alongside you in your life and said, oh, let's be chums, let's be friends. You and I can get on fine. But there comes a time 
when that chum and that friend is no longer a chum and a friend, but somebody that masters you and tries to drive you. And, and God said, Sandra, what are you going to choose? What are you going to keep choosing every day? Are you going to choose death? Are you going to choose life? And every day I get up and I say, Lord, I choose life. And every day I don't manage to make it. And every day I still choose life. Some days I choose it walking slow. Some days I'm running. Some days I'm crawling. But I'm still choosing life. I'm enjoying life to the full. I've made a garden again. And I didn't think I'd be able to make a garden again. But I've made a garden, and it's beautiful. And every day as I'm doing my Jovex exercises, I'm looking at my bedroom window, looking at my garden, enjoying it, because, again, I'm realizing I love life. I love being alive. I love being with people. I love seeing my grandchildren, seeing my children. And, and, and so why would I not choose life? So, with God's strength, every day I get up, same battle, and I choose life. Fantastic. I don't know if that battle, I'll ever, if that war will ever be won here on this earth. I don't know that. And in some ways, I'm not really bothered. Um, yeah, I would love God to come along where you know, oh, well done, Sandra. You won't need to fight that battle anymore. I'm taking it all away for you, and you're totally healed. On you go. But the battle's not with the health. The battle's with how you choose to live. Yes. And how you live. And who is your master? Who is that person, that, for me, God, that loves you so much, and he would fill you up with love that you can go and love other people? And that's, I want to love. I love, love. <laughs> What's wrong with love? <laughs> God is love. Yes. Sometimes it's tough love. Mm-hmm. And I know that. <laughs> <laughs> but I still want his love. So. Sandra, thank you so much. It's You're so welcome. It's been a privilege to listen to you. And I'm sure there's many people who are hearing that and are being challenged and encouraged in equal measure. Good. Thank you so much for sharing with us. No, today. you're thank welcome. You. Thank you. So, that story of Sandra's is going to give us some guidance as we work through today towards listening to God for ourselves. I want today to be that there's going to be a practical section at the end of this. Many of you know Gladys, and Gladys um, is Gladys' husband, Willie, known to many of you, is a wonderful, godly man. And Willie has said this to Gladys, and he's said it to me so many times, it's just ingrained in my memory. These words, stand in your calling. Stand in your calling. God's given you a calling, stand in it. As I mentioned on Thursday night, Paul, when he's writing to the, to the Jewish part of the Roman church, 
And to the Gentile part, as he, as he opens up the inheritance that the Jewish people had, and we looked at the, 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 um, the promise, the covenant that God made with Abraham last week, and the call he gave to Moses, the rescuing of the children of Israel, that big story that is fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah. Paul says that as for the Jews, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Once God has called us, once He has placed that demand on our life, it cannot be revoked. But what we can do is we can make bad choices. We can resist it. We can put it off. We can go into hibernation. So the question I want each of us to address for us so that you could hear there with Sandra, she was talking about reaching out again and traveling back to Southeast Asia, to Cambodia, to Thailand, to Vietnam, where Sandra and George have been active in mission. I saw in the, the comments on the live stream that Samuel Kong's with us, and I just want to say a huge welcome to everybody who's joining with us because of George and Sandra's link with Cambodia and wherever else it may be. But what is God's call on your life? Now, there are some very ordinary answers to those questions. If you're married, it's to your spouse. If you're a child, it's to your parents. If you have children of your own, it's to your children, to your community, to your neighbors. There's some very ordinary, everyday answers to that question. As you provide for your family, as you make a meal, as you do the shopping, as you change a nappy, you're fulfilling your calling. And I don't want to say anything against that. That's, that's absolutely front and center important. And as we live out our lives in work and in play and in our communities, the call of God is at work on us. He locates us relationally and geographically to certain people at certain times in certain areas. Also, that calling will involve us communicating God's love to other people, practically, and what we say and what we do. What is God's calling on your life? And if you do not have an immediate answer to that question, then that should be a priority to discover. If when you sit back at the end of the day, you ask, what's God's calling on my life? What is my father asking of me as his child? If you do not have an immediate answer to that question, there's nothing to be ashamed of, but there's work to do. Now, for those of us who know what it is, I have another, I have another question. Are you living in that calling? Are you living in the calling that God has given you? As Sandra was saying, when you get up in the morning and you have choices to make, are the choices that you're making leading you to live in that calling? I used to have a, a, a line written up on the top of my whiteboard in, in my study which said, make the small choices serve the big choices. The small decisions serve the big decisions. The small steps serve the big steps. Because we might not be able to change the world in one day, but over the course of a lifetime, those incremental steps, those little choices in our everyday life can make a big difference. 
and they gather and accumulate over our lives. So what's God's calling on your life? Are you living in that calling? Remembering that that call is irrevocable. The other thing that's irrevocable are your gifts. So what gifts has God given each one of you by His Holy Spirit? As Jesus promised, He was sending another helper, an advocate, and He was going to be with us. And that Spirit brings gifts. What gifts has God given you in order that you might carry out your calling as one of God's children? And once again, if you do not know the answer to that question, there's no shame in that, but there's work to be done. We need to discover how we're gifted. It's tempting to want to do this on our own. We tend to need help with this as well, often from others who see gifts in us that we do not see ourselves. And then we need to choose whether we're going to be brave enough to trust them and to step out into that. And church history is full The scriptures are full of people who did not think they were worthy of the task that God was calling them to, but they did it nonetheless. Moses was chief among those. He he said, how can I do this? The the, the way the Hebrews written suggests that he had a stutter. And now he was having to go back to the nation which he'd fled from, to the family he was going to have to resist, his Egyptian family, and to the Hebrew people who he had let down. And yet he went. So what are our gifts? And are we using them? Last week, I talked about how the church is in exile. Because we can't meet together as we usually do, do the things that keep our faith at boiling point. We struggle to do them at the moment corporately, though we can still do them individually. But the church is in exile. How are we responding to that? It's understandable, it's understandable if we find ourselves in that place of shock at what's happened. As my mum said, I was chatting with my mum, who's been in hospital in recent days, and thank you for all your prayers for those of you who've been praying. She's doing fine, and she'll be out soon. But she said to me, not even the war stopped us going to church. Not even the war stopped us singing. And I think there's a sense for many of our folks that although there's been greater threats to our nation, the way this crisis has panned out has been one of the most challenging that we have ever lived through as a nation, in large part because of the restrictions that we placed on ourselves. The church is in exile. So we're in shock. We're also grieving The number of people I've spoken to in recent weeks have said, I miss my church family. I just miss meeting together, having a coffee together, singing together, sharing the word together, finding out how everybody's doing together. For those of you who stay behind for coffee, and it's most of you on a Sunday, think how many people you get to check in with, and not just the folks you chat to, but you get to look and see how folks are doing, see if they're doing all right, see if they've got a bounce in their steps, see if they're, or if there's something troubling them and you get to see it. I, I do that every Sunday, and I know many folks do. Just take an eye past you, look who's here, who's not here. We learn so much, and then you think about how much all these people mean to one another and how much we've missed it. Well, watch with our children and young people as they were denied school. Gabriel 
who had a buddy in primary, higher up in the primary school to look after him, Reed, he came to the door just as the restrictions were being eased. And they saw each other and they both, both, both burst into tears because they hadn't seen each other for months. And that release of emotion, and I think that's true for many of us, we're in shock, we're grieving at what, for what we've lost. And sometimes in grief we get angry and fighty, sometimes we get numb and we just distance ourselves from things. Sometimes it's just downright sad. Or we can hardly believe it's happened. It's the same sort of response. And all of that is understandable. Another phrase my mom was using when I was in seeing her yesterday was, we're talking about that idea of the church being in exile, and she said, we're behind masks. I thought, that's an interesting one, behind masks. When Jesus spoke of the the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law being hypocrites, he was literally saying that they were behind masks, that they were wearing another mask. The hypocrite was a, it's when you take on another role in a Greek play. It doesn't, for, for Jesus, it didn't have that edge that it has for us, that we think someone's being disingenuous. What he was saying to them is, you, you are taking on a role that you are acting out, but it's not really you. And I think for many of us, you know, we see someone in the co-op and we want to give them a hug. We're desperate to go have a meal with someone. Some of us have had to say goodbye to loved ones while not being able to visit them. Is there, it's just, we can barely imagine what that's like. And for those of you who have been through that, my goodness me, it's, that's a tough wound to heal from. And know that God's with you in the midst of that. Some of you haven't seen your grandchildren for months. Or seen your children. Or seen your parents. Just so, so hard. That church in exile thing that we're living our life behind masks. Whether they're physical masks or they're other masks. The thing about the church in exile is it takes us back to the story of the Jewish people in the, de- in the desert. The desert time Um, in the Sinai when uh, Moses was leading them, but also the desert time when in 587 BC, the last of the Jewish people were carried off into exile in Babylon, and they went into another desert time, the second exile. The thing we learn when we're in exile, though, is that there's renewal in the time in the desert. God can only build the character in us that we will need for the next phase of our Christian discipleship in the desert. It's when we suffer restriction that we actually learn to value that which we've lost. So often, it's only as we go through times of suffering and restriction and trial, we're in exile in the desert, that we actually have that chance to stop and to reflect to go back to Jesus in a way that we don't when things are going, well, as we would see it, fine. In the desert, God builds the character that we need for the next time when we can be about our business as we move into the promised land, as it were. So this is an excellent time to ask the question, what's God call on my life? Do I know it? If I know it, what gifts has he given me to carry it out? Do I know what my gifts are? And am I using them? And am I standing in the calling that Jesus has placed on my life?
Because, friends, it's tempting to think that God, by his mighty power, will make it all happen. And in the end, we will get to the destination he has promised. There's, there's no doubt about that. But along the way, he has given us choices to make. And just as Sandra was talking about that every morning, about that decision to get up, to exercise, to walk, to make wise choices about diet, to listen to her son, to hear the voice of God in her head saying, really? <laughs> really? You're going to go out with a whimper? It's about the choices that we make. When John, Jesus' best friend, was imprisoned on Patmos by Nero's administration that was persecuting the Christians, John turned that prison into a place where he saw a vision into the heavenly realm that we see in Revelation. Perhaps it was the time when John's gospel was being put together. Do you hear me? He took the physical prison, the practical restriction, the decisions of the civil authorities around about them and turned them for good. He was able to allow the Holy Spirit to overcome the restrictions and instead create a book that still guides us and shapes us as a church and caps off the story of the new covenant to the old covenant, although as Tom Torrance would say, there's only one covenant of grace, the great story of God's interaction in the Old and New Testaments. On Thursday, we had a look back at the story of Peter in John 21. I can't look at this story without thinking back to an Easter a while ago where we filled the church with barbecue smoke as I made the mistake of marinating those salmon steaks for Colin Aitken to barbecue in olive oil, and it smoked like a pig. It did. And then when wonderful Brenda decided to damp down the fire, she used water. So the smoke mixed with water, and the, the cloud of the Lord's presence was so strong, you couldn't see the back wall of the church. That was a memorable day. But in that story, as we looked at it on Thursday at the Presbytery Communion Service, and I'd encourage you, if you haven't, to go back and look at that. We'll just go through it quite quickly just now. Jesus says to the fishermen, friends, have you, have you, haven't you any fish? Have you caught any fish? They haven't realized yet it's Jesus. Put out your net on the other side. Well, of course, they put it out on the right side and another miraculous catch. It takes a lot of courage as a fisherman to take advice from a passerby. But there they go. They go and fish and they pull in a great catch. Peter realizes it's the Lord. He's out that boat swimming, scrambling, doing anything he can get to the shore. And then he sees this fire of burning coals, which speaks of the calling as we were looking in Isaiah 6, the burning coal that the angel uses to touch. And as I was saying on Thursday, in front of the tabernacle was that censer of the, where there was burning coals for the incense. And to, so there was smoke that, that you had to go through to enter into God's presence. I mean, it's a rich, rich biblical image. And on that burning coals, Jesus was making breakfast. And Jesus says to Peter, do you love me three times? Because he's denied him three times. Denied him while sitting by the fire. And what Jesus says, what um, uh, Peter says to Jesus is, oh, you know I do, you know I do. And Jesus says to Peter, well, you feed my lambs. And the second time he says, you take care of my sheep. And that third time, you feed my sheep. 
Peter had departed his calling. Jesus was calling him back. Jesus is always ready. Wherever you are in your life's journey, he's always ready to call us back, to restore us to the calling that he has given us. So if you have a sense that you're standing in your calling just now, amen, more power to you. We are cheering you on because when you win, we all win. When one bit of the body is prospering, we all benefit. But if you're struggling in these days, Jesus is always ready to call us back in. And not only will he restore us to that calling, but by his Holy Spirit, he will give us the, he will equip us with the power, with the gifts by his Spirit to do what he has called us to do. He will give us provision. He will give us guidance, godly inspiration. All of those things he will give us. He will give us all the good things that we need. As Peter would say later to the church, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Everything has been given to us already. Not because we can already see it, but there is no thing that we need that is not available in the spirit of the risen Jesus who lives within us. Amen. And of course, of course, the other thing that he will do is he will speak to us. He'll speak to us. Now, I know some of you are a bit sketchy about this. You're a bit fearful. We'll deal with that in a moment. But first of all, a silly story and then a more serious story, which is kind of fun too. You might wonder why my sartorial elegance has taken a notch up today. I want to tell you about my bargain suit. Now, some of you guys, you, you can't abide going clothes shopping with your ladies. You just hope they're going to do that with other ladies. Okay? All right? I like going clothes shopping with Diane, but Diane's appetite for clothes shopping is much greater than mine. And we were out at the Almondvale Center out at Livingston, which if you buy enough clothes, recoups your petrol or your diesel. So we'd headed out there. And Diane was going to go shop for the multitude because she's got virtual wardrobes in her head all age appropriate. I mean, it's incredible how she does it. And she says, why don't you go look at suits? And I'm thinking, I don't want a suit. I don't want to go shopping for a suit. I don't want to spend money on suits because I was feeling a bit skin toe rinto at the time, as you do. But we're at the next outlet, so I thought, I'll just go and have a look. And then I found this jacket on a hanger. And I thought, well, that's quite nice. That's quite a nice jacket. I tried it on, it fitted, hand and glove. And I thought, that's great. And I saw it was an awful lot cheaper than it should be. And though my parents are English, I was brought up in Scotland. And it's hard to walk past a bargain. But you can't wear a suit jacket without, without the trues. So I thought, well, that's going to hold it below the water because what's the odds that there's a pair of suit trousers my size? So I go through the rail in obedience, praying, Lord, if you want me to have this suit, you're going to have to find me the trousers. And my faith level for that was very low, which I wasn't worried about because I didn't want to spend money on the suit. And what did I do? 
I found the trousers. It's a silly story. But at that point, it felt like to me that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was saying, buy the suit. Which I think was in answer to Diane's prayer. So that I looked a bit less shabby. Okay, and so I'm wearing it today as a practical demonstration. A few weeks ago, we were listening to Ian Wells. And we were saying there's another story to share about um, how we came, Ian and I came to have our calling star, various churches decided. Well, I've told this story before, but I will tell it briefly. I did look for the photographs. I couldn't find them. Um, but there are photographs to prove this. So... It's November of 1998, and it's proper November in Creef. It's freezing, it's dreek, it's drizzling, um, and it's tea time. So all the other students, ministry students are off. We're at a retreat thing. are off getting their tea, and uh, Ian Wells and Jim Ritchie, who's now ministering up in the Church of Nazarene in Perth, and myself were off to pray because Jim was about to go into surgery to get his gallbladder taken out, which had been giving him trouble. And he had just had a call affirmed to a church in Canada in a place called Onondaga Salt Springs. I won't test you about this later. It's just important for the story. So he was saying, lads, can you come and pray with me about my gallbladder? And the op will go well. I said, absolutely. So we went through into the chapel. Now, those of you who remember St. Ninian's, they had a kind of octagonal chapel where we slip windows at each corner up there in Creef. It was converted out of an old church. D.P. Thompson, the church evangelist, had been behind it. And it was the place, one of the places we went for conferences. So we're in this little chapel in the dark, in November, so it's dark, dark, praying for Jim. And then Ian says, guys, you know I've applied for Ratho. Uh, there's... 35 applicants, 35 applicants. Could you please pray? I think this is the one that God has for me. So we prayed with Ian. Um, we prayed the best pray- prayers we knew how to pray. So we prayed that he would get into Rathal. So Jim was going to Onondaga Salt Springs in Canada, um, and Ian could be going to Rathal. We're praying for that. It was a one in 35, if you want the odds. And then I said, guys, I've just discovered that Gore Bridge is vacant. I need to know if I've got to apply for Gore Bridge. We were just leaving the chapel. I said this. And they said, they came back and they started praying. And they started praying. And this for me was not one of those prayers. Oh, Lord, that's fine. I'm happy to pray. This was one of those, oh, my goodness me, I am so nervous because this really matters. And as they prayed for me and my eyes were open... All I could see out of one of the slit windows were the letters G-O-R. Okay? G-O-R. And I thought, G-O-R, those are the first three letters of Gore Bridge. That'll do. I said, Father, all I can see are lit letters G-O-R. Is that for Gore Bridge? And God says, no. I get that sense. It's a no. And I said, really? He says, no, that's Gore Bridge, Onondaga, and Rathel. And I went, oh my goodness me. And I could feel the hairs going on in the back of my neck. And so I shared this with the guys. And Jim Ritchie says, I just got the same thing. 
What I didn't know was that Diane had said, if I'm going to go to Gore Bridge, it's going to have to be writing on the wall, Lord. <laughs> and for those of you who are wondering if it was some mythical lettering that had appeared, all I'm going to tell you is that there's a Suzuki garage across the road from St. Ninian's. It's still there to this day, Gordon Motors, and it's the first three letters of the family name. And because it's a garage, it's lit at night. That's what we were seeing, G-O-R. And that's me hearing to apply here. And so I thought, that's great. I'll apply and get in. Didn't quite happen like that. I had to apply twice, but that's for another day. And when I went to Ian's in, um, ordination, I think it was the February of 99, I sensed the hand of God on the whole thing. We can hear God for ourselves. We spoke last week about how you know that you're hearing from God. Here's the thing. Sandra told the story about hearing God. Her step into lockdown is that she was in a bad way before things started. And yet God gave her a gift in her son to help her get her life back on track. I know how concerned George was about Sandra's failing sight. And that she can do seven miles now when she couldn't walk around the shop back in March is just stunning. And it's, it's, sometimes God works incrementally and, and he works on the inside and we just take daily obedient steps to follow him. But he speaks to us. Speaks to us through those we love. Speaks to us. You might be wondering, well, what if God doesn't speak to me? Friends, that verse that we shared from Lamentations as Jeremiah is crying out to God about the destruction of Jerusalem for that second exile. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In other words, God speaks to us each day. If you're needing encouragement from the Psalms, from Psalm 37, don't fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they'll soon wither. Like green plants, they'll soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pastures. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. The devil wants you deaf. And as the psalmist says, I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Perfect love casts out evil. So, I'm not just going to talk about it. We're going to do it. I want you to take some time to listen to God just now. You might want to grab a pen and paper or the notepad on your phone. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to be speaking to people here in the church. He's going to be speaking to you about yourself. He may speak to you about someone else. If you're not sure what your calling is, then ask him. If you're not sure if you're finished with your calling, get back in the game. If you've got your calling, what are your gifts? If you don't know what they are, ask him. If you've not been busy in them, then ask him how. And are you listening? Are you listening?
Are you ready to stand in your calling? I'm gonna, we're going to play a wonderful song now. We're going to sing it at the end, but just now we're going to play it. And instead of singing, I mean, maybe you won't be able to help yourself, but what I want you to do is listen to the words, and I want you to listen for the voice of God deep within, the voice in your mind, the voice in your conscience. Listen to him. You'll know it's him. And take a moment to write down whatever he's saying to you. So let's just take a moment just as we play the potter's hand gently in the background.